Are you losing faith in the world around you? Do you find yourself constantly asking why something is the way that it is? Do you wonder about God? Maybe you're disillusioned with church, but you still feel a call. Or maybe you realize that there has to be something more for you in this life. Pull up a chair and take a seat, because you've arrived at the right place. The Human Conservation Podcast. With host Reverend Corby Willette. Restoring faith in humanity by exploring the paths of culture, history, nature, science, and spirituality. Promoting human conservation through human conversation. Welcome back to the Human Conservation Podcast. I'm your host, Reverend Corby. I hope everyone has had a blessed week. I'm sorry we were off for a couple of weeks uh, and I didn't really get a chance to do much social media. My mother-in-law unfortunately became very ill uh, and she passed this week peacefully surrounded by her family uh, and close friends. I do want to thank everyone who had sent their condolences uh, and the gifts uh, that our family has received throughout the week. It was much appreciated. Uh, I will say this, death is always devastating to the loved ones left behind, but not for the person that passed. So we can take comfort in that. This week on the podcast, we're going to be discussing the very touchy subject of sin. Now, before we do that, however, uh, there is something I'm going to uh, touch on quickly. We just witnessed last month the horrific devastation in Turkey and Syria from these earthquakes. And I think the death toll was something like 50,000 um, or, or even higher. Um, when things like this happen, it, it always tends to raise the question of where is God and how does he let things like this happen? This doesn't make sense to us right now. How could God just sit back and allow this to happen? Well, the truth is he doesn't. In fact, in the midst of disasters such as this, uh, he's most often visible. Most of us find it extremely difficult to remember the fact that there are forces at work that we simply cannot comprehend. We are limited to what we know, but God knows far more than us. And it's dangerous to get caught up in the thinking that we have it all figured out. What I can say is this. When people are up for days and just sifting through rubble, looking for just one more survivor, God is there. When the child is buried in the rubble for days, dehydrated, cold, and starving, and against all odds, survives longer than all scientific reasons, and is rescued, God was with that person. Now, what about those that didn't make it? The ones that weren't rescued. What about those who lost entire families? Again, I don't know what God knows. But the way I see it, it only reconciles one way. And that is that heaven has to be that good of a place. That they would be excited to be there. When wars, disasters, mass shootings, all of these horrible things that consume life happen... It doesn't mean that God has left them. It's hard to see him in the smoke and in the rubble and the devastation, but he is tirelessly working 
to do his will. And we must always remember that God will take the crucifixion, the ugliness of it, and everything that it represents, and he will turn it into a resurrection. And he does that in our lives, and he does that in those horrible situations. So let's not always believe that we have it out. Just because it doesn't make sense to us doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. Now, let's get into this week's message, sin. Now, before we start debating what sin is and what sin is not, let's see how Webster defines it. There's two definitions for sin. The first one is that it's an offense against moral law or an action that is or is felt to be highly reprehensible. I'm going to go back to this one. But the second definition is a transgression against the law of God. (laughs) What the heck does that mean? That seems to be the question for everything these days. Sin is the single biggest problem in our society that not only separates us from God, but it also separates us from each other. The Bible gives us examples of things that are sin, but it also gives us ways of thinking that can lead to sin. There are also many things in this world that if left on their own are not necessarily sin, but if used incorrectly or abused, they become very sinful. I didn't realize how complicated that sounded when I wrote it. But but that's the truth. There are many things in this world that, you know, if just on their own they're not sin, but if we use them a certain way or uh, do things like that, then they become very, very sinful. The marijuana debate's a good example of this. Is it a sin to smoke marijuana? I'm going to give you guys a second to think. Though most of you have probably already had a reaction, it's legal in many places now. And medicinally, it's legal almost everywhere. Scientifically, many of the benefits of marijuana are well-documented, both medically and practically. The plant grows rapidly, and it's proven that the paper made from hemp is nearly the same quality as that that's made from wood. And while that doesn't remedy the deforestation crisis, it certainly aids that remedy. And it should be cheaper, but it's not. A pack of 100 sheets of basic hemp drawing paper is 15 bucks. A ream of 500 sheets of basic milled drawing paper, nothing fancy, we're talking apples to apples here, is only 11 bucks. Well, this means one of two things. Either A, it's not as practical as it's advertised, or B, greed has gotten control of the business. It's probably the second one, and where there is greed, I promise you, sin abides. This is what the naturalist thinkers don't understand, those people that say, oh, marijuana is a natural plant created by God. Why would he put it down here if uh, I wasn't meant to use it? Uh, Or they'll make the same argument sometimes even for mushrooms. Uh, But God also put a black mamba and a great white shark on the planet too. It's not really a good idea to play with either of those. Now, what does the scripture say? No place in the Bible does it say, thou shalt not smoke weed. Then it should be okay, right? Wait a second. Hold on. Let's look at Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. It reads, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, 
Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against God and the authority that he instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. So in places where marijuana is illegal, this would suggest that it's sin, right? If buying marijuana is illegal and you buy it anyway, are you not rebelling against the authorities and thus sinning? Now what about places where it is legal and you're within your legal right to smoke it? Is it not sin at this point? I had to question my own beliefs not long ago when a Vietnam veteran who suffers from PTSD told me that on nights that he's anxious, he smokes marijuana because when he does, it holds the nightmares at bay. Said it's the only thing that works. At that time, it was illegal in my state. Do I have the right to point a finger and declare him a sinner? And what qualifies me to do that? Well, here's an even more important question. How about this? Do I have the ability to forgive that sin if it is? I mean, I have the power to forgive a sin against me, but do I have the power to forgive sins against God? I don't think so. And if I don't have that power to forgive someone else's sin against God, then nor do I have the power to condemn that person in the name of God. But we do it. Time and time again, we do it. We cover our own sin with the sin of others to make ourselves feel better. Check out chapter 18 in the Gospel of Luke. We're reading verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinful man. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Based on this parable, it highlights that we are all sinners and in need of God's grace. And the one who only asked to be shown grace was the one that was justified. But the Pharisee, he used the sin of the tax collector as a shield to make himself look better. And he was not justified. He made the judgment that the tax collector's sins were far more egregious. And thus, the Lord should be far more pleased with him. But the Lord states that it doesn't work that way. As human beings, we behave like the Pharisee in this parable far too much. There's a spiritual reality that we all must accept. Sin is what it is. It's sin. It's all an abomination to God. The reason Jesus said the tax collector was justified more than the Pharisee wasn't because his sin wasn't bad. It was that he had a willingness to face his sin and lay it at God's feet. It's much harder thing to do than we realize. It doesn't have to be, but it is. Facing ourselves can be scary. 
really scary. The intense born-again Christians get a bad rap sometimes because they, they come on very strong. People say all the time, why are the worst people suddenly the most devout Christians? Most of the time, this isn't an act. When you're forgiven for much, justified for much, you're going to love much. This can be off-putting, though, to a lot of people. If we, Like we talked about in the last episode, if you're not careful, you can actually drive people further away from the Lord instead of drawing them closer. Many of those people have taken accountability for their actions in the past, have faced them down, and they've made it out. That's a cause for celebration. Let's head back into the Word for a second. I want to read a story that most of us already know. It's Luke chapter 13, 11 through 31. It's the story of the prodigal son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together, all that he had had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replies, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. One of the most intensely Christian men that I have come across is a man by the name of David Berkowitz. 
If that name sounds familiar to you, it's because he was once one of the most notorious serial killers this country has ever known. Movies were made about this guy. He's responsible for the murders of six people, and he was known as the Son of Sam. This guy has spent 40-plus years devoted to Christ. But when I tell people this, the looks on their faces are priceless. Almost immediate reaction to this is disbelief. They're like, oh, come on, man. Do you really believe that? Or they'll say something like, oh, yeah, sure. Of course he's a Christian now, now that he's caught and he's in prison. Never once giving any weight to the parable that we just read. Let's be honest with ourselves for a minute. How many times do we hear about things that our peers have done and think to ourselves, how could they do something like that? The parable of the prodigal son makes it clear that there is no measuring stick for sin. Moses, David, Paul, all the central characters of the Bible committed murder. All of them are central characters to the Bible. Can a guy like Berkowitz be the prodigal son? But but Moses and... And the others, they're, well, they're characters in the Bible. David Berkowitz is a real guy. Ah, so it's really not a problem with the sin as much as a problem with our faith. You see, we're all sinners and fall short, every last one of us. But our own sins bind us to the point that instead of taking them to the Lord, praying for the strength to fight and conquer them, we hide in shame. We take out those measuring sticks and we hold them up against others, hoping that by casting a light on someone else's seemingly larger offense against God, our sins will go unnoticed. David Berkowitz absolutely can not only be redeemed by God, but used by God in a mighty way. We all can. It's stated as the core principle of Christianity that Christ died for all of our sins. Stop. That paints a picture like a, like a large group of people in an auditorium and then like an announcement comes over a loudspeaker. Ladies and gentlemen, you have all been redeemed now. Go in peace. I know what people mean, but I just think the language drones out the importance. It shouldn't be he died for our sins. It should be he died for each of our sins. Might seem insignificant, but if you were the only person alive, the only person that ever lived, he would have gone to the cross for you. He literally would have died for you alone. And he died for me alone, and he died for Berkowitz too. Each and every one of us. That's why it's not productive to judge our brothers and sisters. You know, the judgment of others and the fear of bringing our sins to the Lord is just a meeting place before we go down a dark path. Look at the world around us. It doesn't seem like such a happy place recently, does it? It's because sin is everywhere. No one wants to do anything about it. This is why I believe there are so many Christian denominations out there because people are constantly looking for a way to indulge in their sin and still be okay with God. No matter what comes out of my mouth in the next five minutes, I ask you humbly, listen to the whole message before you just react. Because the most prominent in this issue is homosexuality. 
we see all kinds of debates brought up about whether or not homosexuality is sin. And I realize that people are going to gasp, but homosexuality is sin. The Bible states this in at least six different places in plain language. Last week, we talked about how the Bible, though, can be manipulated to serve a narrative. I've heard the argument that Jesus himself, at no point in the Gospels, ever states that homosexuality is sin. And thus, because Jesus did not directly condemn it, it must be okay. But what does creation say? There are no instances where animals in nature participate in homosexuality. None. Now, with that being said, I am well aware of the fact that it is not a choice for everyone. I've knelt in chapels with men crying out to God as they did not want to be that way. One of those men eventually took his own life because he couldn't deal with how his family handled it. That doesn't mean it's not sin, and that doesn't make it okay with God. Because if that is the case, what do you do with the pedophile? Did he make a choice to be that way? Sounds harsh, but did he? Did he wake up in the morning and say, I would like to be attracted to young children? I don't think he made a choice either. Now, this is not a crusade against the homosexual in church. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Recently, the entire United Methodist denomination, the third largest Christian church in the world, split over this topic. Split. They can't figure out what to do. Everyone's pointing fingers at one another and not realizing that they're both a little bit right and a little bit wrong. A lot of members of the LGBT community, uh, they get incensed at the notion that homosexuality is a sin. They will call the Christian church a homophobic institution. There are churches that are flat homophobic, and they are wrong. But just because the Bible says that homosexuality is sin doesn't mean that the Bible's wrong. You see, it can't be both ways. You either have to dismiss the Bible and declare that you don't believe what it says, period, which many people do, or you have to acknowledge the whole thing. I said before that many people use the argument that Jesus himself never condemned homosexuality specifically. He also never condemned human trafficking either, which was a common problem to his age. Paul was also very straightforward about same-sex relationships. The the Bible, again, it doesn't work if you pit Jesus against Paul. The he-didn't-say-it argument just doesn't hold up. And again, I'm not pushing an anti-LGBT agenda. I'm just establishing it as sin. But now, let's make the sharp turn. Because the Bible may recognize homosexuality as a sin, But Jesus died for that sin to be forgiven as well. This is where the church and many Christians, far too many Christians, get it dead wrong. Because many churches and Christians make homosexuality a sin that is so great, so egregious, that it stands above all other sins. Why? The open homosexual person isn't nearly as much of a problem as many of the people who claim their life is centered around Christ. Sin is sin. It's an abomination to the Lord. Methodist Church has divided because they can't agree on whether or not a homosexual can be ordained and placed as a pastor. Wait, 
Can an alcoholic be ordained? How about a pastor that has a gambling problem or indulges in pornography? What if he tells a lie? Maybe he isn't married, but he's having sex with his girlfriend. Are they disqualified as well? It isn't up to us to disqualify anyone for any reason, even those mired in the darkest places, because it's God's desire for every person on earth to be saved. That's what the prodigal son is about, that it's never too late for anyone, as long as they draw breath, to return to the Lord. Matthew 7, 1 to 6, it reads, Do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure that you use, it will be used to be measured to measure you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Anyone that has seen the series The Chosen has probably heard the creator, Dallas Jenkins, talk about the five and the two. It's not our job to feed the 5,000, but it's our job to provide the fish and the bread. Likewise, it's not our job to condemn and to judge. That is for the Lord. We provide them by following Christ's two greatest commandments. That's how we provide the bread and the, the fish. By following those commandments, love thy God and love thy neighbor as yourself. Every one of us is a sinner and fall short. It's not up to us to take any one sin and condemn somebody. That's God's job. The next week on the Human Conservation Podcast, we're going to be talking about death. It sounds grim, but it doesn't have to be. We're going to be talking specifically about heaven and hell, and I want to remind everyone to, hey, please check out the YouTube channel with me and my son. It's called The Average Joe and JMO Show. It's a father-son experience. Um, it's a lot of fun, so you're definitely going to want to check that out. Don't forget to click the like and subscribe button if you head on over there. I know I said some stuff that's right out there on the edge. Uh, please feel free to message me, question me. If you think I'm wrong, that's fine. If you think I'm right, that's fine. Um, I will try and get to uh, everybody that, that sends a message. Uh, and that's about all I got for you this week. Uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. As always, I thank you for stopping by to give me a listen. If you like what you heard and you want to help out, Give the podcast a review and click as many stars as you feel appropriate. This helps get the word out and helps other people find the podcast. If you'd like more information about me, you can find that at corby.com, spelled C-O-R-B-I-E-Y.com. And if you have questions or comments about the podcast, you could send those to hcpodcast at corby.com. And that's the episode for this week. Remember to be kind to one another, help one another, and check in with friends and family often and let them know their worth. It can make a difference. If you're the one hurting, do not hesitate to dial 988. I hope everyone has a blessed week, and remember, human conservation can only come about through human conversation.